Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello again, everybody. Time for the Mainland Podcast. I am Michael Citro, Managing Editor from TheMainland.com. This is episode number 67, and uh, we're very pleased to have a very uh, special guest as we head toward the Orlando City B playoff game this weekend. Uh, But before we get to him, uh, of course, we have to talk about a whole bunch of other things. And joining me to do just that, Andrew Harrison is back in the house after a week off. Andrew... How's it going, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I've hoped we'd have some more positive to news to report on my after my week off, but here we stand. <laughs> and of course, two games since we last spoke, um, and neither one of them was a win. But um, I don't think either of us saw such a lopsided loss coming at DC United. Uh, I I don't. No, we couldn't have predicted that it was going to be so such a one-sided affair. We knew that DC would be up for it. Um, they were streaking a little bit, but I don't think anybody could have predicted a 4-1 blowout. Yeah, another 4-1 blowout. And uh, in fact, that was the, the trio. <laughs> third, consecutive, third consecutive game in which the Lions shipped four goals, uh, which had never happened before previously. Uh, they did give up five and four in back-to-back games last year. Uh, in August um, under Adrian Heath. But this was this kind of came out of nowhere because the team pl- had been playing well, then went out to L.A. and honestly could have had more goals against L.A. and lost 4-2 on uh, basically on, on just some failures to track back and, and getting beat over the top largely. Um, and then, so plus it's L.A., they're tough at home, it's a good team. A lot of that could have been written off. But then you come home and you lose... 4-1 to Columbus Crew, one of the worst teams in MLS this year, although they have a, an MLS Cup final pedigree from last year. Um, and then, you know, you figure, okay, well, maybe it's just tired legs coming back cross country. You know, they'll, they're they're really going to be up for D.C. United. And they really didn't seem to be all that up for D.C. United. Um, some chances early that maybe could have could have changed the the momentum of the game. Uh, there was a, ga- a chance early for Kyle Laren, who inexplicably tried to play it with his foot when he could have uh, maybe a diving header would have gotten the ball the ball home and, and gotten the Lions an early lead. But um, it was DC United one nil at the half, and uh, as we've seen a, over a couple of games, did not respond well after halftime. And DC put a couple more in the net and uh, basically put that game away. Uh, a really nice moment late in the game for for uh, second half sub 
Julia Baptista, who uh, maybe one of the goals of the season for Orlando City with his free kick from just above the box, uh, banging it in off the crossbar, uh, but then uh, you know giving up the first MLS goal to uh, to a player uh, late is <laughs> just not not uh, not good. I mean, they weren't able never able to get that second goal. Came close. Um, but uh, it was basically just uh, a butt kicking at DC. Yeah, we just we never looked in the game. Um, we weren't able to make. Christ was unable to make any tactical or any substitutions that kind of brought any life into the game. Obviously, um, Julio Baptista came on and scored, but that was really one bright moment in such a dark, dark game. Um, <laughs> there was just no positivity. Um, the defense, even though we were back to what had been as such a good partnership and Arjan Mateos, um, just completely looked at sixes and sevens. Um, we were also just, you know, once again, we had Ambrose starting as well. Maybe there was a little bit of a weakness because he's, he's not quite there at that level, but it comes with playing with this team. But also mm. you can't tar and feather him too much because this defense has shipped a lot of goals this season when he yeah. hasn't been on the field. Um, the partnership just didn't seem to really be working um, anywhere. We thought this was going to be our lineup. This was a lineup where we had kind of got everything back on track before we, got, we lost to LA. Um, and it just... It was just a train wreck. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. There's no real better way to describe it. No, there was no positivity. Kyle Lahren looked completely lost up front. Um, the early substitutions of both him and Kaká kind of, you knew Christ was just giving it away and hoping that he'd then be able to take two fresh, at uh, least slightly fresher um, talisman up to Toronto. Um, but as we'll get to that, that didn't necessarily work out either. <laughs> um, I, I, it's hard to say. I mean, even this time, Bendik didn't have any positivity because he he just couldn't stand on his head tonight on on that game. Yeah, it it didn't get any easier when Antonio Nocherino was sent off, um, you know, with the elbow. Uh, it's one of those plays that happens ten times a game in a soccer game, and and you know, it, it sometimes gets caught, sometimes doesn't. He was a little too obvious on that one, and. Yeah. Um, as a result, he had to miss the Toronto match, and, and of course, it really uh, put the the clamps on Orlando City as far as being able to come back in that game. Um, you mentioned Mikey Ambrose; he he had a teachable moment on the Lloyd Sam goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lloyd Sam attacked the ball in the air, and Mikey Ambrose waited on the ball and and let the ball come to him. I, I think that he was positionally fine. He just didn't attack the ball in the air the way Lloyd Sam did. And again, I think that's something that Jason Christ can can use as a teachable moment for him. And um, I think he'll be a better player for, for having made that mistake. I, I, at least I hope so, because you learn more from your losses and, and your mistakes than you do from from your victories and your, your successes. So, uh, Or at least that's what they tell me. Uh, I, uh, I haven't had a whole lot of successes, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I was going to say, at what point do we learn the lesson and pass? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's, it's, I guess it's a more forgivable uh, error for a guy like Mikey Ambrose than it would be for a Bowden or a, um, a Breck Shea at left back or, or uh, on the other side, Alston or Ramos, guys who have been around the MLS for a while. I, I mean, that's it. I don't want, he's still, he's really young. He's mm-hmm. really just trying to fit into. I mean, let's be honest. He, he wasn't in—he wasn't even really in the mindset. I don't think before Christ came along and realized that he needed more people on the back line. Heath was probably just going to continue to band-aid over the cracks until he could potentially get to the off-season and restructure. Um, 
he came off, he's done well, he's been another body to be able to switch out Bowden because the system of wingbacks, you can't, you can't play all 32 games, you will not be effective in mm-hmm. quite a lot of those if you're playing week in, week out, especially when you get to the crunch side and with Orlando taking the FIFA breaks off this year, we've had an even more compacted schedule. So mm-hmm. bodies have yeah. been needed. Um, hopefully he will be able to learn. I think that Christ is willing to teach people to learn, um, but he's still got a long way to go. Sure. And, you know, as far as man of the match goes, I, I don't think that, Many Lions had a good game. Uh, so I gave Baptiste my man of the match because, um, you know, he at least did one positive thing. And <laughs> I didn't see a lot of players doing one positive thing that night. Yeah, I mean, even our go-to recently of MPG had been playing well. Bendik had been playing well. Um, Baptiste got mine too because it was just... He he was the only one who played with any positivity um, when he came on, and he was able to get a great goal. I would imagine it's probably going to be our goal of the month as a site. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really sad that you have to get man of the match by being the only person who tries. Yeah, it's uh, and and you know with the team not coming home and going to going to going on to Toronto from there, I, I didn't have a good feeling about uh, after giving up four goals in a row. Four goals, three games in a row. I didn't have a good feeling going into uh, Toronto where they had a red-hot Josie outdoor, uh, where Orlando City had lost by a combined 9-1 to in two games last year uh, at BMO Field. Uh, I didn't think that that was going to be a very good result. I thought... 4-0, maybe 4-1 again. <laughs> and I you know, and I predicted that. I, that was you know, one of my predictions was that, was that the team wasn't going to wasn't going to do very well uh, against Toronto and um you know, they go up there and they actually did quite well. In fact, um granted they didn't score a goal. But I, I thought and I and I do think after three straight games of giving up four goals to be able to hold a team like Toronto with some very prolific scorers off the score sheet. Yes, they had some chances, but they're always going to have good chances. They're Toronto uh, with the players they have. They're always going to generate something. Uh, I think I thought to get a, a clean sheet was, was a very big positive step. Of course, uh, the problem with that is that the team was uh, had a man advantage for the last 20 minutes. So you would hope that they could maybe get a, a goal. And, and maybe if had they been at home, maybe they could have fought through for that goal. I, I didn't see a lot of legs left on that team late in that game and uh, just weren't able to, to quite do it. Um, they had a good chance fairly early on with uh, a cross from Breck Shea that uh, uh, Molino couldn't get onto, but um, – uh, it, it fell for Laren, and Laren just didn't get enough power on it, and, and Bono was able to get down and make a save in the corner uh, early on. I thought the the best chance maybe that we had the entire game was Kaká getting in, doing a nice job of beating two defenders, but then when he got in, he shot it right at Bono. So um, unfortunately, uh, just too many wasted chances. Um, not a great game for Laren, who looks exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, you know, we've said that before about him and then he's gone out and scored a hat trick. So, uh, there's no telling what you're going to get out of him, but he's played a lot of football the last year and a half. And, uh, I don't know. I, I just thought that it, a nil nil result actually would not have been a bad result had DC United not gotten all three points yesterday. I mean, I think, how about this? If we hadn't lost the last, the previous three games four plus something, um, we would have considered this a win. You're going into oh, yeah. a really strong defensive 
Toronto team that has just gotten so much better. They picked up Beta Shaw for Vancouver. They picked up Joe Moore from Colorado. They've looked really stout in the back line. You've also got Bono, who is really their second string goalkeeper, but he's been playing excellent and kept Clint Irwin out at the side. And then you just move forward and you've got Altador, Bradley, and Giovinco. Um, Giovinco was obviously missing, but Bradley just Bradley was so great at managing to um, eliminate Kakar out of the game. He just stuck to him like glue all the time, and it made it really difficult for Kakar to be able to get free. And even when we were playing the uh, 4-4-2 formation, we still looked too compressed and narrow um, because Bradley was just doing such a great job of holding everybody um, in check. Um, mm-hmm. Overall, I thought it was a pretty good performance. I, 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 I don't want to say it was a great performance because... I think this team is capable of so much more. Um, But this was a team that had gone out with the remit that they needed to win. And they just, they never looked capable of winning. And that's maybe on the coach a little bit. And then you got to get people a little bit more buoyed up. But I like the change in formation. It just unfortunately didn't pan out. And you can't expect um, a team that has been playing the same formation for almost two years to just come out and be able to snap it into place. You know, I kind of wonder who would have been that that protector of the back line in the back of the diamond if Nocherino was not uh, suspended for the game yeah. because uh, I thought Carrasco was okay. I didn't think he was great, uh, but certainly um, that that was something that intrigued mm-hmm. me when I saw the lineup was, was oh, wow, we're finally going to see the, the 442 diamond from Jason Christ that we've been hearing you know, for a long time. And, and, you know, the fact that he was starting Laren and Rivas together up top kind of, uh, you know, that was intriguing as well. And I thought this could be really an interesting game. And I, I, I did think that they, that this, that the, that the concept was sound mm-hmm. of, of having Molino and Breck Shea on the wings, you know, guys that are willing to run, you know, m- maybe Shea more than Molino, uh, especially tracking back, but uh, then Kaká at the top of the diamond, you've essentially got with him and Rivas and and Laren, you've got three guys who can who can threaten the defense. Maybe it will keep the the fullbacks from bombing forward because the fullbacks really have torn up Orlando City the last few games. Oh yeah, um, during the the, the three game losing streak, and, and so it was a sound concept. And I thought that Rivas. Uh, started off okay but he's he's one of those guys that i think can he can turn a game in any given moment and if you know if you give him an opportunity but once toronto got into the game and started seeing more of the ball in the midfield christ had no real choice but to to make a a, a tactical change otherwise they were going to concede a goal and i hear a lot of people saying well why didn't he wait till halftime well if you if if he concedes in the 43rd minute, yep. should you know? Then everybody's complaining. Well, you know, if he saw the problem, why didn't he change it? So I, I thought he did. I had no problem with what he did. Yes, they have to manage Carlos Rivas and make sure he knows this isn't on you. This is not why we made the change. It wasn't because you were playing badly, or that we don't, you know, value you or anything like that. You know, you have to massage him a little bit. He's a young player, and he's going to take that hard. But Hopefully he'll take it the right way because they didn't do it because of him. They did it because they wanted to get Igita on and shore up that midfield and start winning some of those battles and, and stop giving so many gaps to, to Toronto runners. And I thought that, you know, in a lot of ways, I thought that that tactical move worked. Mm-hmm. Um, there were still some breakdowns, but not 
nearly as many as we were seeing. Uh, but again, I, I think the old saying is that if something uh, must be done, then it should be done as soon as possible. Yep. It's the same sort of uh, concept that Orlando City used when when firing Adrian Heath. It's like mm-hmm. if they felt they needed to do it, then they needed to do it as soon as they could. And the same thing was, was holds true with, with taking Rivas off is, you know, you don't wait. If you see a tactical area where you're being outplayed and, and outmaneuvered, you have to shore that up as soon as you can. You can't just wait five more minutes and hope they don't score. Well, I think it was a case of the dam eventually breaking if they didn't make that change. Um, mm-hmm. As you said, Carrasco was, uh, you know, he's kind of really started there out of necessity a little bit. I think you're right. And there's no Serino starts at the base of that diamond if he's available um, and, he, and he chooses to switch to that. Um, but I thought Carrasco, the one thing you can never knock about Carrasco is his engine. He does mm-hmm. continuously run for 90 minutes. The problem is sometimes he's not running effectively to be able to break something down or he makes a rash challenge and he, he concedes mm-hmm. that free kick. But the problem was he was not able to cope with Delgado and Osorio um, and a Cooper trying to keep them in check by himself. And mm-hmm. when you have two people who are kind of loath to track back in Molino and Rivas, all of a sudden you're leaving them completely exposed. And so Christ was right to make that change. It is going to be interesting to see how they manage him because he, he did throw his toys out of the pram a little bit when he was coming <laughs> off the field because he thought it was him. He wanted that more of an opportunity. But yeah, if... If we go in 1-0 at halftime, we do not come out of this game with any points. And Christ knew that. He was playing the odds, and he just had to hope that DC didn't get such an emphatic win and that Montreal didn't win. And unfortunately, both of those went against him, and Mm -hmm. the job's going to be a little bit harder. But do we see the diamond again? I think we do, but maybe we see No Serino basing that out. And I think you have to consider bringing in um, Perez Garcia again because he's just been dangerous in the games where he's been able to be effective. Well, I know we'll see MPG on Sunday because Breck Shea got himself another yellow card for no apparent reason. Um, this is a thing that drives me insane is that the suspensions for no reason and the yellow cards that build up because you do four or five dumb things rather than rather than a tactical foul which is is something that you have to do to help the team you take a a silly a silly yellow really for for no reason i mean he 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 slipped a little on the play and got a shoulder in the face and he probably felt like he was fouled but if he hadn't slipped that would have never happened he would have never got hit in the face and i'm sure he got up a little hot a little angry maybe a little embarrassed and and then he yapped at the official about it and he got himself a yellow for absolutely no reason so brexhay is out on sunday against montreal in a game that the the lions must win and uh you know they won't have one of their attacking options now because of him so uh a selfish play a dumb play and you know i'm i'm sure he would you know you could you could call me out for calling him that but i mean i'm sure even breck would agree at this point now that he's cooled down that it was a dumb play and a, and a selfish play and he shouldn't have done it. So, um, you know, no Torino had one of those the game before. Yeah. I mean, he was trying to, trying to give, you know, trying to give a little extra, you know, while the ball was in the air. And a lot of times you're going to get away with that, but in that particular instance, he didn't, but those are the kinds of plays that need to be stamped out. And if they, if these players are incapable of stopping themselves from making those kinds of plays, then you got to get new players because you can't, keep living with those kind of mistakes. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we've seen it 
is this the third or fourth time from Breck now? Like, and there was a point where if he was going to keep mouthing off, you know, he could have kept going and, and he could have seen something. And later on in the game, he made a, a, a fairly ill-timed challenge and could have easily seen a second yellow. Um, yeah. It, this is something that we've talked about with this team a lot is temperament. Um, Ramos has the same problem. Breck Shea seems to be on the field a little more this season, so we've been seeing it a little more. Um, we've we've got to do it. It's not always going to go right, but that doesn't mean that you get to be upset about it. Yeah, the ref's going to stink occasionally, but or more often than not. You still have to just deal it. You're a professional. We're not playing in Sunday League anymore. You've got to be better, and that's how you win games. Absolutely, and... and- you know, I, I think we should probably go back at some point. Somebody somebody on our staff should go back, look at all of Breck's yellow cards and see how many of them were avoidable because I bet it's probably close to half. I'd say pretty I'd say pretty close. I know one of his sendings off was certainly avoidable. Yeah. So um anyway, it, it ended up in a nil nil draw. It's a point. It's not what we wanted, but I mean I think as you said, it, because of the situation and because of the fact that um Tucson Ricketts got sent off in the seventieth minute, you think uh, it should be more than a, a draw, but I mean, Toronto is a very well-organized defensive team and they were not letting anybody have any space. They sure they were outnumbered by one, but if you put all of those 10 men behind the ball, it's very, very difficult uh, to break down a, a good defensive team. In fact, Toronto is is the exact model Orlando city should follow this off season with going out and finding the right pieces, the right experienced MLS pieces to put in the holes that they have. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. They went out and got a beta shore. They went out and got a drew Moore. These are guys that have stepped in and been able to help uh, a Will Johnson guys with experience in this league who are, are good, you know, not necessarily MLS all-stars, but guys who are solid and, and know the league and, you know, are quality players. And I think that Orlando city needs to follow that blueprint this off season and hopefully we can get a couple of wins and push that off season off for another week or two. Um, man of the match time for Toronto is a very difficult one. Um, I thought Christian Higuita, when he came on in the 40th minute, did a very nice job of, of helping to stop some of the bleeding, winning balls in the midfield. He was a tackling machine, um, an intercepting machine, getting in, in people's way. Uh, doing a nice job of, of, of basically just gumming up the works a little bit. Uh, he would be a candidate, but I think I probably got to go with Bendick, uh, even though he had a colossal mistake that he got away with early in the second second half. Um, he still made some nice saves and, and kept the team in the game and ultimately kept the clean sheet. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to agree with you. Um, I, I think cause just because of that mistake, and I think he was – he got lucky more often than not. Sometimes, like I didn't necessarily feel that he always kept us in the game. Um, and I'm, it wasn't really a game of a lot of moments. But as much as I think Kaká didn't have a great game, he was my man of the match. I think he was at least trying to run at people. He was trying to mm-hmm. potentially get it into the fact that you know if I can make something happen then something will happen around me um and i think that was so important that night because we had just been blown out so many times and we needed one person to step forward and he was running mm-hmm. at people he wasn't always effective but that was just because once again bradley was marking him out of the game and i think 
if he comes up against any other defensive midfielder, Kaká has a blowout kind of game. Um, yeah, and that wasn't just Bradley. I mean, they they were throwing extra guys at him yep. all over the pitch. I mean, Delgado and, and Cooper, Osorio, whoever was in the neighborhood was basically, I'm on Kaká as well as Bradley. Yep. So, it, it, you know, to, to his credit, he worked very hard all night. Um, you know, it's a shame that he couldn't have, have had a better effort on goal in that, that time that he slipped in in the second half, uh, which was only a few minutes after the uh, the sending off. And, um, you know, the other thing that he does sometimes is he he will dribble into trouble instead of, of you know, thinking that he can get out of it. He doesn't always get out of it. And, and uh, you know, that I'm sure irks some fans because sometimes I get a little irritated with with him holding on to the ball, thinking you see them closing you down, buddy. Come on, you <laughs> got you got to get it out of there. Uh, but you know he he is who he is, and he's he's been successful throughout his career because he has made those plays and and uh, gotten by those guys when when you thought he was trapped and cut off. So uh, you got to live with a few of those every game. So uh, I, I definitely don't. Um, disagree with your with your choice so i thought i thought that uh if if i had to pick three guys that that i thought again it wasn't a great game for anybody yeah. not particularly a great game but i thought the three the three top performances probably were for me were were definitely higita kaka and bendik and and in a shutout situation i you know i guess i err toward the goalkeeper because he did make a, a few uh pretty nice saves um I forget who he stopped in the... Yeah, he's going to win save of the week. I mean... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Another save of the week opportunity. Uh, Delgado had a good chance on him. And uh, early, I thought he was very good. Uh, uh, I definitely thought he had some some slip-ups in the game. But I thought early in the game, he was good and kept the team in the game. So, anyway, uh, it's a draw. And uh, we move on and hopefully can beat Montreal. Uh, unlike um, San Jose the other night, uh, San Jose... Got another Wando out of Wando. Um, he had a chance to tie the game and, and biffed it uh, pretty badly. And then uh, Montreal got a late goal to make it 3-1. But that could have could have been drop points for Montreal, but wasn't. Um, we really can't expect any help from Columbus if they're playing D.C. United. And we didn't get any. Uh, that game was actually nil-nil for quite a while. And then it just kind of caved in on Columbus. Um, so Montreal, Sunday afternoon. Uh, at the campground, and uh, we'll see what happens without Breck Shea in the lineup. Uh, okay, so we had an Orlando Pride finale over the weekend, Andrew. Yep. Uh, it didn't go very well, although once again, the Pride scored first uh, on a uh, just a tremendous strike by Jasmine Spencer. Uh, a free kick from Kristen Edmonds hit the wall, fell for Spencer, and Spencer drilled it. Uh, just a laser blast. And it was 1-0 at the half for the third consecutive game. The Pride had a 1-0 lead at halftime. And uh, for the third consecutive game, they could not build on that. Um, uh, shipping two goals in the second half to FC Kansas City. And once Kansas City gets a lead on you, they are extremely tough with, with uh, the players they have on the back line to break down. Uh, very, very tough team to break down. So once they get a lead on you, they can kind of strangle you and take you out of the match, which is what they did. Yeah, I, I thought the Pride had a pretty good um, first half. Um, one player who I've been really impressed with was Lisa Devanna. Um, her footwork um, and just her vision in the game is really exceptional. Um, she played a really good part. It was a beautiful goal from Spencer. 
um, who was set up by her roommate and very good friend, Kristen Edmonds. Um, it, it was a good partnership. I kind of thought, you know, I hadn't been to a game in a while. I was going to, I was going to be once again, their good spark to getting out a win. Um, <laughs> but in the second half, it just kind of all changed. They lost a bit of their shape. They looked tired. Um, and as you mentioned, Kansas City um, have such a defensive setup that getting another one was always going to be difficult. So when they scored, um, didn't look like we were going to have much of a chance to hold them off. And unfortunately, we didn't. Um, we kept knocking away. But um, as I turned to the person I was watching the game with, Becky Sauerbrunn's like having three center backs. Yeah, yeah. She, she, a, she really marked Alex Morgan out of that game. She, she truly did. And I, and I actually... You don't see how well she necessarily plays on TV. You know she's a great player. But in person, she was just everywhere she needed to be. Um, and it was almost like she was the only defender. And then you looked around, and it turns out she's got three other people helping her out. Um, and it's unfortunate that the Pride have to go out this way. I think they would have really loved to have been able to get a home win to end the season. Um, but it just wasn't to be. You know, I asked Alex uh, after the game about Becky Sauerbrunn. I asked her two questions back to back, and she gave me a very thorough answer to the first one and then either chose not to or forgot to answer the the question about uh, Becky Sauerbrunn. But, um, uh, you know, I think that she showed a lot of passion in the postgame press conference in terms of wanting to to build a a winning team here. Um, She she said that, you you know, the ownership promised her that, that they would do everything in their power to make this a winning team. And she was disappointed to be called away so many times for international duty. Not that she doesn't love to represent the country, but because she, she wanted to be on the field with her teammates and you could really see that passion on her face and, and the disappointment and not, not having been here to do more to help the pride this year. And it won't be as big a deal next year because there's no world cup. There's no uh, Olympics. So it, it won't be as much, uh, disruption to the NWSL season. Um, you know, obviously Tom Sermani has to go out here in the off season now that it's over, now that the year's over and, uh, you know, pick up some pieces to, to plug in and, and fill some holes and, and not only fill some holes, but provide depth for, for some of those players who uh, may be called away from time to time. Yeah. And I think, you know, we kind of mentioned it to um, before, you know, just like, Orlando City, he's got to go out and pick up those people that he's he's got to do, and 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 it's going to be difficult. I mean, unfortunately, the Pride have had numerous retirements this year, as have everybody else. Um, it's going to be interesting, but the the college draft does have a little bit more potential um, coming in this off season. There are names and good young talent to be had out there, mm-hmm. um, but I do expect at least a fifty percent turnover um, in this roster. Well, there's, it's going to be interesting to see what he does with the back line. Um, he certainly had players that you would think would be capable of, of preventing goals uh, with four internationals along the back line. Uh, for whatever reason, the back line never really worked um, as a unit from about the midseason on. They, they sort of had a good start to the year, uh, but they, they from about the midpoint on, you could get at them over the top or with through balls. Um and that was something that, you know, possibly is is tactical awareness in the midfield partially and partially some, you know, just because of so many different lineups having to be used and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I think overall, 
a fairly successful expansion season for the Pride. They they beat uh, they beat the the Houston Dash's number of wins, I believe, pr- fairly early on before they they sort of went into that skid at the end of the year. Um, and, and of course, you know the 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 attendance record to start the season was nice too. So um, you know, a, a positive year, a lot they can build on. I think that uh, you know you you mentioned uh, retirements. Becky Edwards played her last game, and that was pretty emotional uh, scene on. Uh, on the weekend uh, with her coming off and, and talking to her after the game. And uh, one thing that probably isn't being reported as much as it should is that Becky Edwards and, and, and um, Kristen Edmonds, uh, Edwards and Edmonds came over in a trade for Orlando city's first round pick in, in the next draft. So Orlando city doesn't have a first round pick right now. Or, I'm sorry. The Orlando pride doesn't have a first round pick right now. You know, the problem and that's the danger that I think this front office has run across um, on the men's and the women's team is they've given up a lot of draft talent. They've kind of oh, draft choices. They've kind of decided that that's not the way they want to go. Um, and unfortunately, that's becoming more prevalent. You know, we, we're talking about that we thought that maybe there was going to be an elimination of the expansion draft um, so that that was going to be a mechanism that disappeared. Um we haven't had a lot of success out of the college draft, you could argue, this year in terms of the men's team. Um, Larea and Barry haven't really added anything um, to the main men's side. They've added some good minutes um, occasionally for OCB. I think this team has just decided that what they want to do is be able to go out and know that the second year they're going to have to stack with talent and you're going to have to stack with people who have NWSL game experience and therefore it's going to be okay to give away the draft for this year. And it's very difficult to find players in the NWSL because with the wages they pay those players, it's very, very difficult for them to make a living. And and we see, uh, we see these women retiring at a young age when they're still in their prime because they, they find a job that Mm -hmm. actually pays them quite a bit of money. And, and, you know, it's when you have a, you know, you have a family, you have people that you love, you want to take care of, you know, sometimes that can, that can make you make those types of decisions. It's unfortunate, but the fact that the NWSL has survived four seasons is a good sign, but it's not, we're not there yet. We're not to the point where this league can really be called a success. It can only be called, you know, the most successful so far. Yeah. And, (laughs) and that's a shame because I think that that's had a really good, um, yeah, but let's be honest, we've also had some bad um, takeaways from this season. The NWSL game for the Western New York Flash on the Lilliputian size pitch. Um, yeah, there's also bad. been some comments from certain owners that haven't gone down well. And, and just the lack of communication from the league office, I think, is really what's starting to hinder this league more than anything because you do have such a vocal national women's base that when you have a inactive front office but you have such a vocal um player group you're going to always have that mix and in will it's i think it's going to prosper next year um but what they have to do is they have to go through the cba um this off season for the men for the women's team nationally that's probably going to potentially affect nwsl if they decide to get rid of the requirement that U.S. women's players have to play in NWSL. Um, There are going to be some moving parts, but the league 
probably doesn't survive if they remove that requirement. So <laughs> it's going to be an interesting offseason, to say the least. Yeah, the league used some influx of cash through sponsorship and, and television rights and that kind of thing. That can help the league because that will help these teams be able to spend more money on players. And that is the lifeblood of the league is players. Yeah. So you need to you need to be able to take care of them. And right now, only the the cream of the crop are really being taken care of in NWSL. But uh, anyway, the the Pride finish at uh, with six wins, thirteen losses, and a draw, uh, nineteen points in ninth place out of the ten teams ahead of the Boston Breakers. Um, and uh, it was a team that really in midseason was battling Western New York Flash and Seattle Rain for the last playoff spot. So uh, the I guess you'd say the pride were certainly hurt more than most other teams when it came to the international uh, break and then the, the Olympic break, because not only, yes, the league shut down for three weeks, but you know, the, the players left so early for those you know those national camps. teams. Yeah. The, for the, for the pre-Olympic camps that you still lost them for a few games on the front side. And then it took you a while after the play, after the Olympics to get them back for, for the backside. So you're, you know, you still had the, those absences and they still affected the team. And, you know, on top of that, you know, the pride already wasn't a very deep team. And then, then, you know, having an injury here or there and, and, and you know, a knock to uh, Sarah Hagen had a, a concussion at one point. There were other injuries here and there that kept some people out of the lineup. And, and it was just a revolving door. And that's, that's just not a recipe for success. Having your, your having three M- uh, NWSL rookies on the field at the same time is not an ideal situation unless they're absolute game changers. And although I thought Sam Wittemann, uh looked like a solid player who's got a good future, mm-hmm. I don't think she was she was necessarily a game breaker type. Uh, Danny Weatherholt seems like she might be a useful role player down the road. She obviously also wasn't a, a game breaker type. And uh, Christina Birkenrode sort of barely made it onto the team in the midseason. So um, and she wasn't much uh, in the you know, much of a factor this year. So um, when you're, when you've got those three rookies all taking up starting spots and, and being in the lineup at the same time, it's, it's difficult to get results. And um, you know, with Alex Morgan missing, there was not a, a threat that would occupy multiple defenders and allow the other players to prosper either. So, so there was a lot going on and uh, you know, kudos to Tom Sermani for keeping the team together. They never quit. They always played hard you know, for 90 minutes. And it was good to see that. Uh, and I'm sure he'll go out and, and do some good things in the off season to bolster the team. One thing that's very exciting also, Andrew, is that, uh, the team will be moving into the new soccer stadium next year. So it won't seem like they're in this cavernous empty mm-hmm. stadium. Uh, so the, even if they only draw seven, eight, 9,000, it's going to feel and look a lot better and that's going to help the atmosphere, and that's going to help the players on the field. Yeah, I mean, you know, home is your castle kind of thing, and if they'd been able to just, if they'd been able to hold on the other day and, and get that feeling on just anything from home games where they just seem to be able to collapse in the second half, um, we would be further up the table. Maybe we would have been able to continue that playoff run, but I think we we have to go into next season fresh. There's going to be a few reduced games, no tournaments, um, that should bring the crowd, the attendance, um, and also make this franchise successful in the second season because Somani knows how to manage this league and he will know how to get the right talent that he needs. Absolutely. Well, um, 
So it's off season for the women. We've got the NWSL playoffs. Um, Meg uh, put together a preview, playoff preview and uh, predictions, which is a nice piece over at the mainland. You can read that and uh, she'll tell you who, who she thinks is going to move on to the, uh, the final. Uh, let's turn our attention to Orlando City B because out of the weekend, they were the most successful team. Uh, they entered on the longest uh, winless streak and uh, came out. Actually, I think they were right there with the pride. I think that was pretty close. And, um, you know, they they had to have a win because Wilmington won Saturday night. So they knew that a draw or a loss had them out of the playoffs. And uh, the Young Lions went up to Bethlehem. Uh, and uh, played the Steel, which uh, not a playoff team. They had nothing to play for, but I thought they played very, very hard in trying to win their their home finale for their for their home fans, and and uh, they really gave Orlando City B everything they could handle. Uh, OCB got an early goal against the run of play off a off a nice long ball that uh, Michael Cox was able to track down and get onto, and um, and uh, fought off two players to slide the ball across the, the six-yard box, and uh, Johnny Mendoza was able to get on that early and make it one nothing. From that point on, you thought maybe uh, they're going to go out and, and win this thing. Bethlehem, again, they're behind. they got nothing to play for. Uh, maybe they just call it a day, but they really came on strong at that point. Orlando City B was on the back heel for most of the game uh, until a wonder strike by Lewis Neal uh, made it 2-0 in the second half. And uh, it was just one of those weird plays where – uh, the defender tried to clear it and miss hit the ball. It ended up popping up in the air, uh, chested down by, by Lewis and he blasted it in a uh, huge goal. Uh, but Orlando city B still had, you know, some time on the clock and that two goal lead is always the most dangerous one in soccer. They say, so, uh, <laughs> it was, there were some nervy moments down the stretch. Mark Ridgers played fantastic in goal for Orlando city B. I thought that, um, Zach Hayden on the left, uh, at left fullback played fantastic. And uh, I thought that the guys hustled and, and played hard. They didn't always play very coherently as a team, but uh, they did just enough uh, to get the win and to uh, to propel themselves into the USL playoffs. So Orlando City has never missed the USL playoffs when they have competed in USL. I mean, that's a great statistic. And they, they, the performance kind of showed you how much that means. And I think the players wanted to go out and do it for themselves, but they also wanted to do it for what's been a very historic USL franchise, even though it's coming <laughs> back from a hiatus, um, but also mm-hmm. to do it for a first-year coach and Anthony Pulis. Um, it was really that kind of performance that was, we control our own destiny, you know? So we're going to throw everything at the kitchen sink and we're going to hope that something breaks for us. It did. Obviously, we haven't played really well defensively, so it was always kind of teetering on the brink. It was kind mm-hmm. of batting down the hatches, <laughs> parked the bus, kind of defending at times. Um, but once again, Ridges has had a pretty good season. I mean, he's really, as much as I thought we thought we might see Edward get some minute this year, um, we haven't seen anything from Sturjaha get any really minutes either because Ridges has just been playing so well um, and mm. such a vital, important part for that team. Um, overall, a performance that isn't going to go down in history other than for the fact that it managed to get o- OCB into the playoffs, which was this franchise's goal at the start of the season. And it's nice that we were able to set a goal and make it because we haven't had that for some other teams <laughs> right now. So OCB sneaks into the playoffs. They're the last team to get in the, the lowest point total of any of the teams. So, uh, 
as long as they stay in the playoffs, they'll stay on the road. So um, Orlando City B, if they're going to win a trophy this year, they're going to have to do it the hard way. Uh, starting out this weekend, Sunday, against New York Red Bulls 2, a team that uh, beat them 5-1 in the last meeting, although Orlando City B went down a man early and ended up on nine men before the game was out. Um, but Orlando City B did play very well when, when uh, New York Red Bulls 2 came to Melbourne, and uh, they got a draw out of that game, a game that they largely, I thought, outplayed uh, the visitors. But um, New York Red Bulls at that point weren't uh, – they weren't hitting on all cylinders, I don't think yet. That wasn't that was, I think, before they overtook Louisville City for the top team in the in the league. So, um, you know, maybe they, they caught them at a good time. Maybe you could say that. But there's a lot of talent there. And uh, one thing is for sure, Orlando City B will not be facing a ferocious crowd at <laughs> Red Bull Arena, uh, one of the worst teams in the league at drawing in Harrison, New Jersey. Um, but Orlando City B needs to uh, go in with some confidence. Hopefully, they have no pressure at all, Andrew, because this team is not expected by anybody to win this game. <laughs> no, and that's that's sometimes a good place for us to be. But you know, we didn't expect to get anything out of Cincinnati, but we had a really great game, and I think so. That's mm-hmm. the kind of mindset that we need to go into. Um, we finished on 35 points. The Red Bulls finished on 69 points. Um, this is like that's a little better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a game that OCB is not expected to win. Um, I think you could probably get good odds on uh, a victory for Orlando City B if you really wanted to throw your money away. Um, <laughs> and that's sometimes where we prosper. You know, Rochester did it last year. Um, you occasionally just have to be. The, the people low down, you've got to go on and, and say, this is this is our mantle, this is our piece, we're going to have to go away from home wherever we go, so let's start it right, let's get the mindset going, and and just play how we play how we know we can. Um, and hopefully we'll get some performances from the people that matter. Da Silva, Lewis Neal, Mark Ridges, and maybe our um, college draft picks will step up too. Yeah, we got to get a good game out of Michael Cox as well. And um, whoever plays center back, obviously, Tommy Redding was uh, loaned to OCB to, to help get that win in Bethlehem. And I thought he played pretty well, considering that he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't have a lot of experience playing with the, the teammates that he was playing with on on uh, Sunday. But um, it, it will be interesting to see if they can do it with with Kyle McFadden and, and uh, Connor Donovan or Devron Garcia, whoever they end up plugging into that center back uh, pairing, but um, uh, Anthony Pulis has done a good job of, of keeping the team together through a, a pretty long slide, and they, they managed to come together. It's good to see that. But instead of us just yammering about OCB, well, let's bring in our guest, Lewis Neal, and we'll let him yammer about OCB <laughs> with us for a while. We'll do that right after this. All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, very happy to have with us the captain of Orlando City B and, uh, you know, a, a coach on the field, Lewis Neal, former Orlando City MLS Lion and USL Lion. Lewis, how are you tonight? Yes, I'm very good, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You know, uh, it's pretty exciting that uh, Orlando City B was able to win that must-win game uh, in Bethlehem, the, the final game of the season, and get into the playoffs. I, I want to... Before we get into the postseason, I want to kind of go back to that that um, the winless streak and after a, a nice long nine game unbeaten streak, and, and I want to just ask you what 
the the impact of, of losing Tony Rocha and, and Mikey Ambrose to the senior team had on that uh, skid and and sort of what else might have been contributing to to the, 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 the loss of form after such a good run. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, the, losing Tony and Mikey um, was always going to be, he was always going to be hard to swallow, but obviously that's what the team's built for, you know, that's what the idea of the, the Orlando City be is to, you know, to, to get guys and, and progress them on into to the first team. And obviously, you know, being its first year in, in existence and, and the way that works, to have two guys go up to MLS like that is obviously, you know, it's fantastic. You know, it's a, it's a great achievement for everybody, um, you know, involved with OCB and, and obviously Orlando City. So, Obviously, that was great. Yes, they were a, a huge loss for us because um, they were, you know, a, a very integral part of our team. Um, but, but like I said, you know, that's that's the purpose of the team, and, and they're the, the sort of they're, they're the situations that we, you know, we're gonna we knew that we were gonna have to deal with, and, and we had to deal with. And obviously, the, um, the the seven game losing streak was obviously very tough. You know, we, you know, I think I think we missed them a lot more than what we probably thought we were going to miss them. We thought, you know, guys would, you know, maybe have to step up and not that the guys didn't do well enough, but it's one of those those things where you where you, you lose one or two games and it was it was really hard. It was it was a really hard rut to get out of if you if you understand what I'm saying. Um mm-hmm. I mean, thankfully, thankfully in the end we were we were able to to win that last game after I think it was losing six or seven 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 games on the bounce, which was obviously not a not a good thing and, and that for me just shows the um, the side of things that happened this year, because obviously it is, it is a developing team, and it is you know guys are coming and going constantly. It's, you know we never have a, a very um, consistent lineup, so I mean that's I think that's how it's always going to be because um, that's the purpose of the team. So, but you know on the whole, it's you know it's not ended, ended out too bad in the end. Well, and obviously you were coming off a, a such a long losing streak um how was it in the dressing room knowing you know you still controlled your destiny on saturday night against bethlehem steel like how how easy was it to get people up for the game and what was your role in as the elder statesman in the locker room well uh, to be honest uh, you know i think it was one of those those games where everybody knew what they had to do everybody knew that it was a must-win game there wasn't a lot that really needed to be said in that that respect, because they knew it was you know win or go home type of um, type of scenario, and you know I mean it was um, it certainly wasn't pretty the way we did it, uh, but in those situations when it's like that, it, you know it was a game that we just needed to win. It didn't really matter how we did it; we just needed to win it. And, and you know thankfully we were, we were able to go there and get a result. And I go back to the week before that we played Cincinnati away in front of twenty I think it was twenty four thousand fans, and it was probably one of our best actual performances of the season. It was certainly up there in probably the top three performances we've had this season. And we come away with a one nil loss that we certainly didn't feel like we deserved. And then the next week we go to Bethlehem, don't play well at all, and come away with a two nil victory. So <laughs> I mean that just that just sums the game with fuck up for you in a nutshell really. That's just how it goes sometimes. Well, it was. Uh, I have to say, I'd never seen uh, Bethlehem's field before, but it's in a just a, a gorgeous part of the country. It was really uh, interesting to watch on TV from from just the the setting of it. But as you mentioned, the team didn't actually play all that well. They finally uh, sort of sort of uh, against the run of play got a got a ball forward to Michael Cox, who who pushed it over to Mendoza for an easy goal. Uh, how much pressure did that take off the team? Uh, you know, in the early going, having that lead, uh, knowing you needed three points to advance. It did take a lot of pressure off the team. I think once we got that goal, obviously, 
you'd like to think that it would have settled us down and we were able to get <laughs> to some sort of rhythm of play. But unfortunately, that didn't work out like that. We, we ended up defending, you know, for, for pretty long periods during that first half. And I almost look back at it now and think maybe, maybe it, obviously really winning, so you can't say that too much. But the almost maybe ended up hindering us a little bit, scoring so early if you understand what I'm saying, because we almost sat back a little bit too much then and, and didn't really, like I say, get into a rhythm and, and, and try and play, you know, try and play our football and keep the ball a little bit better. But again, I mean, you know, we, 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 we look back and we analyse it as we have done this week since we've been back in and at the end of the day, we, you know, it was about getting the result and we were able to bunker in and, um, you know, a team effort defensively, we, we ended up standing pretty, pretty stout in the end, all right. They had one or two decent looks, but, I mean, every every team in every game does, um, unfortunately, but we're able to hang in there. Well, and obviously we mentioned one guy, which was Michael Cox. Um, he's been great for this team. 11 goals, three assists. Um, how great has he been just having somebody who's been so dependable this year? Yeah, he's been good, Topsy. I've, um, you know, I've been, been impressed with him. We, we give him a little bit of stick because he's not, he's actually not one of the, he's not one of the best trainers, as I would like to say. On, on a daily basis in training, he's not always, um, He's not always the best in that, but in games he turns up and he puts himself about. He's a big, strong guy, and you know, like like you just said, there he's done fantastic for us this year. And um, he certainly want to to keep a, a little bit of a, an eye out for him in the future. Maybe, hopefully, you know, at some point he may get a bit of a chance because you know he's got pace, he's got strength, he can hold the ball up, and he, he can finish uh, pretty well. So he's certainly got a lot of attributes um, going for him. So um, you know, he, you never know with that one. You know, Lewis, before we turn our attention forward to New York Red Bulls 2, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the goal that that, uh, sealed the win uh, on Sunday, the the goal that you had, actually. You've had some big... I'd be disappointed if you didn't (laughs) mention it, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, you've had some really big goals for for the team, and, uh, you know, and it's it's first incarnation in USL, obviously, and and this one uh, was a big goal. Um, Tell us a little bit about you know your decision not only to to shoot when you did, but uh, you know what you know what you thought on the play, what you saw, how it kind of unfolded for you. I just remember the ball back. I think uh, I think Pierre de Silva got a little little touch on it somehow. It was a bit, it was a bit of a you know fifty fifty in the middle of the field there, and Pierre de Silva just getting a touch on it. And I remember just re- obviously reading where it was going, and obviously as it's bounced, I sort of like t- took a little little touch off touch off my chest, and and as it sat down for me, it's one of them where. It sat perfectly in my stride. I didn't have to really, you know, break my stride or, or do anything particular with the ball. It was just there to hit. I remember seeing the keeper was, I mean, he, he was a little bit off his, a little bit off his line. I just thought, right, I'm going to give this a, I'm going to give this a bash and um, and just smash it with the laces and and hope for the best. Really, I guess you just hope that you get a good connection. The technique was was pretty good on it, and, and you know, if your technique's right, then you know you you plan on just trying to hit the target, and that's what I did. And thankfully. Um, it went into that um, top left-hand corner, so it was it was a great feeling, and obviously that then you know that then relieved them a lot of the pressure. Then going two two nil up, and you know we we just needed to hang in there for for that final whistle, and we did thankfully. And and so obviously we've now made it to the playoffs. Um, how have you guys gone about preparing for such a dominant New York Red Bulls two team that almost doubled us in points, and you know they don't have the best stadium atmosphere and um, attendance is usually pretty low so you've maybe got that on your side but how are you going to approach this game on Sunday? Yeah well we've obviously we've been working on our, our tactical shape uh, um, you know a bit this week so far we'll obviously we have we have a couple more days until until the game so we'll continue to do that we've 
pretty much worked as a as a normal week, um, as if it was a normal game. Obviously, I know there's the added you know the added um, pressure of it being a playoff game, but I think um, you know Coach Anthony Pulis and Rob Valentino have tried to you know try to keep um, keep everybody pretty calm and and just do everything you know prepare for a game as as we have done for the majority of the season. So um, I mean it's it's another one of them where you know you don't really need to tell the guys in the group and, and there's that you know everybody knows it's a massive game. It's a it's a one-off playoff game. Anything can happen. Yes, they have been dominant and they are a very good team and. Um, you know, right is you know, right is so. They're going to be the favourites for the game, and we're going to be underdogs. But I'm, I mean, I, I quite like that to be honest. I think um, you know, if we can quietly go about our business and, and keep a pretty pretty solid shape early on in that game, and and, and try and keep them off the, the scoreboard for as long as we can, you know, you, you never know what can happen in um, playoff football, playoff soccer, should I say? So we're looking forward to it. And when New York Red Bulls 2 came to Melbourne, you know, you guys were able to get a, a good result out of that game. Uh, it didn't go quite so well at Red Bull Arena. Um, yeah, it, it's a team that I think that in a lot of ways Orlando City would like Orlando City B to be where a lot of academy guys are coming up and, and uh, you know, a lot of talent is able to be, uh, you know, basically able to, to put it there because their, their, their MLS side is so deep. But uh, with that, with that big lopsided loss at Red Bull Arena earlier, um, you know there's there's going to be maybe some uh, I don't know some concerned players going in there about whether they can stay in that game. But I think one player that maybe uh, is feeling pretty confident after last week's game is uh, is Zach Hayden, who uh, really did a good job on Eric Ayuk, uh, a, a guy with world-class speed and, and who's played, you know, ha- has some MLS pedigree. Uh, t- tell a little bit about, you know, Zach, and, and not just Zach on the on the one side, but the fullbacks in general, because that seems to be a strength of Orlando City B. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Zach's, um, Zach's an excellent 1v1 defender. There's not too many guys that get around him in, in 1v1 situations there. Um, on the ball, he you know he needs to you know maybe improve just a little bit in terms of his um you know because obviously fullbacks these days need to be you know able to get up and down they need to be able to to combine and, and get forward and play crosses so that's one side of his game but defensively one v one he's um he has been you know he's excellent in those situations and it was a you know a real plus that he was able to perform the way he did against obviously like you say such a a very quick and um you know very very positive forward thinking um, player like um, Eric Ayuk so. Um, so yeah, but no, we just um, yeah, we just, we just you know we just need to need to really focus on on Urza. Yes, they they did bump us five one away, but we did go down to um, nine men, so that obviously didn't help. And, you know, they had the the video refereeing situation down there that got a guy of ours sent off early on, which we thought we were pretty hard done to in the end when Connor Donovan got sent off. But mm-hmm. go back to the game when we played at Melbourne, we played um, we drew two two with them. We actually played really well. We actually, to be honest, first half we actually played them off a off the part, we just had two really, really bad um, set piece plays that, that we gave two goals upon. And but apart from that, we were, you know, we played. So we, you know, for me, I I keep referring back to the guys to, you know, obviously, you know, not forget the five-one because obviously that's something that can motivate you because you certainly don't want to, you don't certainly don't want that to happen again. Um, and it's not a nice feeling sitting in that dressing room after a five-one defeat. So that's something that I like to, you know, quietly remind them about, but then also remind them of the performance that we gave at, at Melbourne because that two-two was very, very good. We were were excellent that day and um you know we we're going to certainly going to need um to be at that level if not very close to that level to to get a result out of this playoff game 
Well, and uh, obviously the organization's goal was to make the playoffs at the start of the season. You've done that. Um, how has Anthony Pulis done as a first-year head coach? Yeah, I think um, I've been, you know, I've been really, really impressed with, with how he's handled and dealt with, with everything that's been, you know, thrown at him. He's very detailed in, in his approach to his um, coaching method. Um, you know, there's not, a, there's not a stone left unturned when he's preparing us for a game. You know, we know all about the opposition. We know what's expected of us um, on that pitch. And, you know, he's, he's, I've been, been really impressed with him. And obviously, you know, it's, this is all in his first year as a, as a head coach. And, and I'm sure that's only going to get better with, uh, with the more experience that he gains. Well, Lewis, before we uh, let you go, just wanted uh, one final question. Um, you know, Orlando City B did a great job of just hanging around, hanging around, and, and finally, you know, through all those, uh, th- you know, the, the bad res- run of results, finally broke through and, and made it into the postseason. Is there anything that, you know, you can uh, sort of transfer to the senior team in, in terms of, of, you know, hang in there, you know, keep doing what you're doing, that kind of thing, to, to, to have them maybe have that similar run at the end and, and maybe uh, Orlando City could also make the playoffs this year? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, you just, you, you know, until you're mathematically unable to make the playoffs, you keep going, you keep working your socks off, you get your head down and you keep grinding until, until you, you know, you mathematically can't, can't make it. And, um, you know, um, the, the new coaching staff have been very, you know, they're very, very positive in, in everything that they do. And I'm sure they'll only continue to be positive after the, you know, the clean sheet that they kept last night. There's three games to go. Um, you know, for me, from what I've seen at the table and, and the standings and, and the points difference, that you know they need to you need to, to win at least two of their the last three games and two of those are at home. So you know it's certainly it's certainly not an impossible task. Yes, it you know it doesn't look you know too great in, in terms of the table, but I know I know um, everybody will be be trying to be kept positive and and you know like I say until until they you know physically can't make it into the playoffs then they'll keep keep grinding and, and grafting away until that's the case and you know that'll be something that I'll be saying to them too because. Like I say, it's um, it's certainly certainly not not doable in, in terms of, of making it for the playoffs. Well, Lewis Neal, we appreciate you being with us on the Mainland Podcast uh, this week, and of course, we wish you the best of luck in the playoffs uh, against New York Red Bulls too, and hopefully beyond. And um, you know, uh, Lewis Neal, uh, Orlando City player, Orlando City B player. Uh, broadcaster, sort of a jack-of-all-trades. Thanks so much for being with us. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. The Mainland Podcast, episode number 67, is winding down, and we're uh, we're just a few minutes away from the end of yet another award-winning podcast. But we want to thank Lewis Neal for coming by uh, this week. We know it's a very busy week for for him and for his Orlando City B teammates. And uh, hopefully Lewis can captain his team to a playoff victory against New York Red Bulls too and shock the world and knock out that number one seed on Sunday in Harrison, New Jersey. A a city that I'm told is not actually named after you, Andrew Harrison. It is not, no. I, I feel like my ancestors did not get here in time. Um, but we also have picked something a little more picturesque, like southern Pennsylvania, if we were interested. <laughs> well, um, let's turn our attention. Orlando City uh, against Montreal Impact. And um, the Lions have done quite well against the Montreal Impact. Um not only throughout uh, last year, but uh, this year as well. I thought that, uh, you know, you can't really do much better than what they did at Montreal. In fact, 
that's the last victory that this <laughs> team has. Uh, a 4-1 win in Montreal. And just think how good we felt about Orlando City after that win because they're coming off wins, back-to-back wins, for only the second time all year. They had beaten New York City FC at home, went to Montreal, and got uh, the win on the road there, which I, that was the first win at Montreal. And um, they even they even had Drogba in the lineup for that. Uh, but... Um, then, you know, then the <laughs> kind of the ceiling caved in a little bit since then. The sky's falling uh, chicken little. Exactly. So, Andrew, what's your what's your take on this team? And, and how do you what, what's the key matchup for Sunday? And, and what's your final score prediction? Um, it, this is going to be an interesting one. Obviously, um, we're in the thick of it. I think both teams are playing three games in nine days. Um, there's going to be a lot of tired bodies on there. Um the depth is going to be very interesting going forward. Um, my take on it is Drogba is playing for the impact right now, but he's not really playing as Drogba can do. Um, he seems a little fed up with the challenge, I feel like, right now. Um, he did play pretty well the other day um, against San Jose, but he's not hes not the Drogba that we saw come into this league last year and propel Montreal so far up the table. Um, matchups, I, unfortunately, I, I think it still has to be keeping him quiet. Um, he peppered Joe Bendick's goal up in Montreal. Um, if Joe doesn't have his Wheaties that morning, we probably don't leave for <laughs> one. Um, we probably a entertaining five all draw. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to say that it's, it's got to be the back line that is just, I know we didn't leak goals the other day, but we just we're not playing cohesively. If Drogba can get behind there when he's supported by Piotti, um, he's going to be really dangerous. Um, Ayan and Mateos are just going to have to really spend all of their time keeping him quiet. Um, and maybe I would also like to mention, if we go with that diamond, whoever's got that base is going to have to spend 95% of the game keeping Piotti quiet and breaking that link down. But also not then forgetting a Duro um, who's also going to be streaking around and trying to make some difficulties. Um, I want to be positive because I know that we need a win. I, I just, with Brexhay being missing, we're going to see a change again. Um, I don't see a positive result from this one. And I am actually going to say Montreal wins 3-1. Whoa. All right. Okay. So, and that's pretty pessimistic. And my goal scorer, just as a thing, I'm, I'm probably going to think that Kaka gets one off a free kick. All right. Well, that would be nice because there have been precious few set-piece goals this year. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be a little more optimistic than you. I'm going to say that this team is going to – well, first of all, my key matchup is the central midfield against Piotti. They absolutely have to protect the back line from Piotti. Uh, I thought they did a good job of that in Montreal for the most part. I thought they really did a good job. In fact, I thought Alston did a good job in that game against Piotti. Um, but, you know, they have been prone to breaking down. I want to see more control. I want to see somebody in Piotti's face the way that uh, Bradley was in was in Kaká's face um, this past week. And... I think that uh, if they can manage that, Orlando City can win this game 2-1. to one. If Drogba plays on the turf, it might be a 2-2 draw. 
Okay. Because he he could just produce a moment of magic from the numerous free kicks that we give up around the box. Mm-hmm. So um, you know that will be that will be difficult to to get that win if if Drogba plays uh, on the astroturf and um, we think because of the fact that they're in the middle of a thick heavy playoff chase maybe if they were higher up the table like they were earlier in the year he wouldn't play in this game but i think you almost have to expect him to come in at some point maybe as a second half sub or maybe he starts and goes 60 minutes something like that yeah it's such a matchup because you don't know we don't know which orlando city we're gonna get i mean we went into montreal thinking oh it's gonna be really difficult and you know we concede in the first minute and we're just like oh, this is just going to be an utter collapse. And then we pull out probably one of the best performances of the season from the Carlos Rivas that we didn't know we owned. <laughs> yeah. And so we, I don't know what we're going to get. I just feel that this team is so beaten up that regardless of the Montreal that shows up, we're, we're going to have a big crowd. People are going to come in. But it is a day game. It's probably going to be hot. It's going to be humid. And it's just going to be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it because this game will tell us whether there's hope or not. <laughs> if if the if the team loses or even draws this game, there's just no. Oh yeah, it's out. even if they're mathematically still in it, they're really not in no. it. Um, they have to get the three points, and they probably also need some help uh, with whoever DC's playing this weekend. It uh, escapes me at the moment, but um, yeah, it, it's it's a game where. I think this might be an interesting start for Jason Christ. I think Jason Christ to, to win Carlos Rivas over may choose to start him uh, again over Laren because, you know, because not only because he needs to win him back, but also because Carlos Rivas played pretty darn well against Montreal the last time. Yeah. And you also kind of have to reward him for taking him off in the 40th minute against Toronto. And, yeah. and you have to tell him that it wasn't, him, but that's also kind of what I want to see from Jason Kreis is that if he knows that a system or a player plays really well against that team, why not give it a go? At this point, we really don't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. Our mathematical percentage of making the playoffs is below 10%, I think, at this point. We we just got to throw him on and see what happens. And okay, we haven't given four weeks to tell him that he's going to start this game and that he knows he's going to be <laughs> playing. But you got to reward him. You've got to show him that he can go out and be that player that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Laren, as much as he didn't hit a sophomore slump, he's still bagged 14 this year. He's mm-hmm. tired. He is a young tired 21 year old that is, <laughs> is is unfortunately sick of supporting this franchise like atlas and so you need another body to be able to come in and maybe it's Rivas. and if you give him that reward that if you risk him you may get a, a great reward you may i i think the part of the problem for me with Lair in the last few games is he's not being rewarded for the runs he's making. I, I think that the, the attacking midfielders have not done enough to get him the ball. There was a break in the game at Toronto where Orlando city had a counter attack going and it was a three V three and it ended up being a four V three and Kaká had the ball in the middle and Laren made a run to split the two defenders. And I thought, here's a goal. And Kaká chose instead to pass the ball to, to Breck Shea on the right and use Laren's run as a decoy, which again, you know, that's, he's pulling the strings. That's his 
call to make. And he decided to make that call. And, you know, it's it's hard to argue with it. Laren's going to draw some attention. Maybe I give the ball to Breck. Laren takes the defenders with him and, you know, opens up the space. In fact, what happened was Shea decided to give the ball to a late running Molino, who by that point drew the attention of the defenders who laid off of Laren, who was now offside. And... Molino had nothing he could do but try to backheel it back to Breck, and it went horribly wrong. So um, that was a, a case where I think, again, the team's not getting the ball to Laren, so Laren's not effective. In, in those few moments that maybe he can make that difference, they're not helping him make that difference. So it, it's not all on Kyle, and it's not all just because he's tired, because, you know, it, it's a long season for everybody. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how many minutes you're getting. There's guys in the league with a lot more minutes probably than him. Um but it, it's it's also it's a mental thing too late in games when you're not getting the ball. Yeah. And he he was not he was not if you're not getting him the ball he can't score goals. Uh, Scott I think it was Scott wrote about that recently. It's like if you get him more touches his goals per touch is very high. It's among the highest in the league. But we're not getting him those touches. So um, it's a double edged sword because he's he's not the dynamic quick ball movement type of guy the way that that Kaká and Molino and MPG are so it's kind of hard for him to play off of them uh he needs to just make the run and have them feed him yeah and that just has that just hasn't been happening and I I think you know credit to the opponents who are who are aware that that's what he needs and they're taking that away um but um you know it would be interesting to see Carlos Rivas in that role uh I like that you brought up the fact that you know a coach should do something that's been successful in the past until they other team proves they can stop it. That's kind of what a beef that I had with Adrian Heath earlier this year when Orlando city went to visit the Red Bulls because Carlos Rivas ate them alive last year on the left wing. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, he didn't even put them in the 18. I don't believe in that game. And then I think Bobby Murphy may have been the coach the second time he went to Red Bull arena. And again, you know, didn't use him that way. And I thought that if you just go back and look at that film and see how badly he destroyed them, um, you know, why wouldn't you try that again? I I agree. And I think that that was Heath's biggest weakness is that you have, to, you have to be able, this is a game of soccer. You're not playing the same team week in, week out. We're all playing by the same game and the same rules, but you're coming up against the different 11 guys. And sometimes you need to be able do that as as we've seen Orlando City cannot play against the high press and be successful whatsoever it has it's incapable of of diffusing that as a situation I think that what we saw with Montreal was they were just incapable of handling speed um just as we were with a David Akam for Chicago you occasionally have to put him in there and and even if he's not going to score you a lot of goals he is going to terrorize you and pull that shape apart um mm-hmm. And that's so important because right now we're just not getting that. You know, you talk about Laren needing more touches. Um, when we had Serena Hegita, um, even though their final third ball was terrible, um, they were at least getting up the pitch. Um, since we've seen that transition away 
to really not allowing those people to move past the halfway line. Um, his number of touches has gone way down, as is his number of shots, and therefore his number of goals. I think that when we see a return to the diamond formation, you'll eventually hopefully be able to see Laren's touches start to go back up because there'll be a conduit to getting him the ball to make an attempt and hopefully bang it in the back of the net. Yeah, and let's not forget that one of the best producers of passes to Kyle Lahren last year was Carlos Rivas uh, from that left side. I mean, he was I would I would certainly be willing to say that from the left side, he is maybe one of the top five crossers of the ball in MLS right now. That's a bold statement for a guy who hardly plays, but I will stand by that. I think that his 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 crossing ability to Laren has been proven time and time again. He has just put picture perfect passes on Laren's head, on his foot, and uh, and off of the defender and in. So, um, you know, I, I think you have to utilize those talents. And certainly, I don't I don't think I think I think Adrian Heath pretty much gave up on Carlos Rivas. But um, mm. if there's anything there, we need to know now because. Or move on because that DP slot is just too valuable to to sit there and and waste on a player who's not regularly playing. Yeah, and I mean we've we've already used up the wasted DP slot with Rochez who's playing for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also MPG is technically a DP. Um, so you're either going to have to buy him down with allocation money. You're going to have to trade more draft picks away for a, another international slot. Um, there's a lot going on for this team this year. And obviously we're way down the allocation order and we're going to about to get even further behind with two new teams coming in. Um, we're going to have to uncover some talent, but limited draft picks. Um, we're going to have to go out and really raid um, the other teams and see what we can do. I expect that once again, I, I think we're going to see a big turnover for this mm-hmm. team, not just because of the performance, but we also need a complete, at least maybe 10 new guys to be able to play the system that we know that Jason Christ prefers. Well, we'll definitely see some changes because of the shape change or because of, because of what Jason likes to do tactically. Um, I don't, 10 is a lot. <laughs> 10 is a lot of changes. We'll see what happens. But first, we'll see what happens on Sunday against I, I, Montreal I think, Impact. Go ahead. I think the, the problem is you just look at the roster and you think you're probably shipping Bowden. You look, you're probably shipping Alston. You've got some young guys who probably you could drop down to OCB um, on on permanent loan outs you're going to have to go out and get other people and you're going to have to ship some of your big contracts we can't keep them and you've you already talk about you know your two guys you're probably already shipping Rochez, reverse Bowden. um i imagine you ship alston if ramos comes back healthy um do you keep edwards or do you try to go out to find somebody else um you it's pretty easy to start to get to 10 when you start boiling it down yeah, maybe so. I think Edwards is um, is a cheap guy, though, that you can stash as a as a second keeper. If, as long as nothing happens to Bendik, I think you're in pretty good shape with Edwards as your backup. But uh, we've got plenty of time to dissect that in the offseason, um, <laughs> and we will. We will. Um, anyhow, uh, so we'll see what happens against Montreal on Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock game in the hot Florida sun. Hopefully those Canadians will come down here and those snowbirds will wilt 
and uh, allow the Lions to take away three points for the first time in forever. And uh, <laughs> and we'll see what happens. In the meantime, uh, please visit us at themainland.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at themainland. Main, like a lion's mane, not like Main Street, M-A-N-E. Uh, also, you can please like us on Facebook and uh, leave us a, a lovely, uh, thoughtful, uh, you know, nice review on iTunes, and we would really appreciate that. Um, so that'll just about wrap it up. Number 67, episode 67 in the books, and uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the Montreal match and uh, look ahead to a, an international break, actually. Uh, a week off with the men's, uh, the men's national team will be playing. Uh, and uh, we'll have a week off. And then the final two matches of the season will both be on the, la- the next two Sundays after that, uh, which will be at Philadelphia and then home against D.C. United. Hopefully that D.C. United match will have a lot of playoff ramifications when it arrives. Um, but uh, we'll get into it next week. And uh, we would like to thank again our guest, Lewis Neal, for stopping by and uh, wish him luck this weekend at New York Red Bulls 2. On behalf of Andrew Harrison, senior columnist at TheMainland.com, I am Michael Citro, the managing editor, signing off saying, Go City!